Welcome to Saturday. Welcome to the Rewind. That's right. Welcome to all the things. Yes. I am Monique Dusan. And I am Krista Bontrager. And it's the show where we talk about all the things related to God, the Bible, and real life. And you're the co-founder of the Center for Biblical Unity. This is true. This is true. And these are our Rewind shows. Tonight's show is brought to you by the Center for Biblical Unity. The Theology Mom podcast. Impact 360. Family 210 Clothing. Now, maybe we should say in a quick minute uh, what these Rewind shows are. Well, yes. The Rewind shows, it's more than rewinding our outfits, because if anyone is astute and paid attention, we actually had this on in the last episode. Yes. It's actually because we recorded both openings on the same day, (laughs) because we are tired. Um, (laughs) Hey, I just got to keep it real with the family. That's right. Our Rewind episodes are shows that originally aired... Um, or very early on in our ministry and in our podcast seasons, like season one, season two, that maybe didn't get a lot of views or clicks because people didn't know that they existed or that we existed. Yeah. And so what we're doing is we're re- kind of rehabbing those shows, things that are still applicable today and presenting them to you fresh and anew, one, so that we can continue the engagement, but two, so that you can be empowered and equipped to have conversations with your friends and to think about what's happening in our current cultural moment. Yeah, so we we want to ask you to to support the show this is the part of the show where it involves audience participation like and share comment all of those things aren't just um minuscule things those are real ways that you can can impact the show for the good because it uh, alerts the the big tech gods that we're here and it helps push out our content yes so tonight's show Let's do a little bit of setup here. We're going to be talking to, well, first of all, this was show 38. Yeah. So, so we, um, we're, we're, you know, this was a hundred shows ago almost. Yeah, but um, <laughs> exactly. You know, we were still doing big before, things. Still before the Center for Biblical Unity. Still before. This was January 2020 and the wow. Center for Biblical Unity became a full entity on February 24th, 2020. This, this show only has 105 views on YouTube. And I yeah. thought, man, that's a crime. This is such a good show, uh, and so it's going to be some awesome evergreen content. What's amazing, sorry to cut yeah, you off, but yeah. what's amazing is that we were talking about pro-life and abortion and what it looks like around the world, and now, two years later, mm-hmm. we are post-Roe v. Wade. Who would have thought? Who would have thought two years ago we yeah. wouldn't have thought that? yeah. So this is going to be a discussion with a pro-life advocate. Now you're going to have to help me with her name here. Uju. That's the short, that's her nickname. Obian Nuju. Obian Nuju. Ekeocha. Ekeocha. And now, that's probably not with a Nigerian accent. I feel like that's more like a South African way of saying it. Okay. But Obian Nuju. Okay. Now, Uju lives in Great Britain now. Yeah. Uh, but she's originally from Nigeria. Mm-hmm. And she's going to give a little bit of her background when we get into it. But... She is a delight. And Isn't she cute? She Ooh, is, she's, she's fierce. Honestly, this is still, after 137 whatever episodes, one of my all-time favorite interviews. Oh, that's awesome. Is, is this one. So I'm 
super excited to uh, share it with everyone. Now we do. This have was to get... one of my most fearful episodes. Oh yeah, because <laughs> most fearful. So in the beginning, uh, which you're not going to see, um, but there was a little setup where I couldn't be there for the beginning of the show. I was and... abandoned. And she was on her own and she was still like, I don't know, even really sure I know what a podcast is. I didn't want to do the podcast. <laughs> I was like, why are we doing this every Saturday? Yeah. <laughs> so she had to get it going without me. Oh, I was so mad. Oh, she was big mad. And so we're cutting out all that awkward part and just going right into the interview. But um, at the beginning of the interview, now we're going to allude to something that had just happened in the news. Yes. So let's give that set up. Let's refresh our memories about that. Yes. So um, not sure how many of you will remember back in January 2020, um, before the world shut down and we actually had lives. <laughs> the Golden Globes happened and Michelle Williams, actress Michelle Williams, got on stage and basically shouted her abortion. And that went wild on social media, both, you know, pro-life and pro-choice people saying, you know, all of their thoughts and opinions about her shouting her abortion. Yeah. Okay. So then Uju followed that up with She's fierce. this fierce tweet. <laughs> Hollywood is an ivory city built on top of a bloody foundation of broken bones and bodies of innocent babies. The unacknowledged group of slaughtered victims is the group of unborn babies of Hollywood stars who have been and who continue to be sacrificed on the altar of success. Yep. So with that, let's watch our conversation with Uju. Okay, so welcome. Thank you. Thank you for having me on. I'm really grateful to be on your show. So um, glad to be here today to discuss these important things with you. Yes. We're so excited to have you here. Um, would you mind by starting out, like telling us a little bit about yourself? Right. So I, uh, as you said, my name is Abiyanu Dwekota. I am a Nigerian woman living in the United Kingdom, born and raised in the southeastern part of Nigeria, uh, had been uh, you know, had been to university at the University of Nigeria, had started working at a hospital um, in Nigeria, and then uh, came to the United Kingdom at the age of 26, uh, was living very happily. I was never really intending to do any kind of pro-life activism. I have always been pro-life, though, uh, so it's always good that I tell people that from the offset. Um, I grew up in a pro-life society, uh, grew up in a country that didn't have legal abortion. People were not agitating for legal abortion. Uh, and up to today, where I come from, people are still really not agitating for legal abortion in most parts of the country. Um, so I didn't intend to do any kind of, uh, you know, this kind of activism. But then uh, in 2012, I was um, watching television one day and I, I saw the wife of Bill, Ga Bill Gates, uh, Melinda Gates, uh, her name is, uh, advocating for some kind of population control project in Africa. And I really got upset and, and uh, I wrote something about what she was planning to do at the time. Uh, and that then became known as the Open Letter to Melinda Gates, which went viral shortly after. And the rest is history. So that's really how I got involved in doing this kind of uh, pro-life advocacy, because it is pro-life advocacy, really. But it's a little different than what most people are used to seeing when it comes to pro-life advocacy, because I speak a lot about Africa and the Western countries in relation to African countries. Wow. Well, 
I'm glad that you made that tweet and that it went viral <laughs> because it's, it's created such a platform to be able to speak out for the unborn. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So it, it, at the time it was back then it was blogs. So I had written a, a whole letter, you know, I wrote a 2000 worded uh, letter. Now these days we do more tweets. <laughs> so, but it was the open letter to Melinda Gates and people can still see now if you went uh, to Google or something and search for the open letter to Melinda Gates or something, um, anything like that, you, you might still be lucky enough to find it. Wow. So I, I've been working in this realm since, uh, I have been doing pro-life advocacy since 2012, 2013. Um, uh, but I also have remained a scientist. I was always working as a scientist in the UK. I had finished my master's and I was working by the time I did this, uh, I wrote this open letter to Melinda Gates. So I, I did um, decide eventually to still remain a scientist. I work as a biomedical scientist in the area of hematology. So I, I work in pathology. Um, and I still actively am doing pro-life work. So it's me taking on extra duties to myself. But I think when God wants something, he, he gets to make a way so that we can, we can carry whatever it is that he wants us to carry in the way of mission. Very good. Wow, I'm so inspired already. Right? Yeah. <laughs> right? It's like everyday superheroes in our midst. That's yes. right. Yes. No way. <laughs> okay, so last Sunday, I believe it was last Sunday. Yeah, a week yeah. ago Sunday, yeah. Um, Michelle Williams came out at the, Golden, at the Golden Globes and spoke openly about abortion. I believe, I believe it was her personal experience with abortion and her right to choose and things like that. And you made a pretty provocative tweet about it. What were your thoughts about her speech? Yeah, so um, we have seen Hollywood, especially in the last couple of years, becoming ever more so vocal uh, about abortion issues. Uh, as I said, sorry, I, I'll just take a bigger picture view here. I grew up in Nigeria and we were always kind of um, tied to Hollywood. We we're always so engrossed by Hollywood, even as an African girl, um, you know, looking up to America. But the America that I knew was the America we saw in movies, in good movies. So imagine me now living in the West and taking in the way uh, these Hollywood actors and actresses are advocating for abortion. What a disappointment. What a huge disappointment um, on the local scale for the American people, but also on the international scale for those of us who come from a pro-life world uh, outside of the West and who have always seen Hollywood as the real heroes, as the people who have told these stories, as the people who were, you know, the real um, lovers of justice uh, and human rights. So Michelle Williams taking her award at the Golden Globes, talking about how her life wouldn't have been what it became had she not exercised her right to choose. Those were, I think, her exact words. Yeah. So in other words, implying that she had uh, aborted her own baby. For those people who don't know Michelle Williams very well, because I know her name is, I don't think her name is Household, but many of us knew Heath Ledger. That's Heath Ledger's wife when he died. That's Heath Ledger's widow. Mm -hmm. so, so this is a woman who, in a way, many people's hearts would have been with her. But then she's now going back telling us about this child 
child she may have aborted. We don't know if it was Hitler's child. We don't know. It doesn't matter whose child it was. But what she's saying is that as a woman, or what she was implying is that as a woman, we cannot really make it in life. We cannot be success professionally successful unless we choose uh, to end or sacrifice the lives of our unborn children. What a horrible disappointment. And of course, the reaction as well to her speech or to that part of her speech, which was also something else I was tweeting about. It was the fact that she was saying uh, gladly that she aborted her child and she it led her to the Golden Globes. But then it was also the reaction of the her fellow Hollywood uh, uh, actors and actresses who were sitting there, they were all applauding. Some of them were cheering. They were, you know, um, kind of celebrating the fact that she was shouting her abortion. And I noticed uh, during the time that the camera was going round, uh, one particular woman who had also kind of been in the news. Her name is Busy Busy Phillips, who had shouted her abortion or talked about her abortion or boasted about her abortion uh, a couple of months ago. So she. She was also smiling and kind of crying and, 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 you know, rejoicing over that. It's a shame. And, you know, that Hollywood is setting this kind of example for women. Uh, it really is quite, quite disheartening. Yeah, it's hard to think about. I'm, I'm a, I guess I'm kind of a career woman. I've had a family. My faith is a, a huge part of my life and shaping the life choices that I've made. And women do sometimes have challenges and we do sometimes have to make life adjustments and we do sometimes have to uh, slow our career down. But those sacrifices seem worth it to us. And to think about killing my child for the sake of my career, I don't honestly, it's hard for me to even imagine that as a thought. But I know that many people do look at it that way and, and from that worldview standpoint, but it's, it, it, I don't know if it has to be either or I've been pretty successful in my career. I've achieved a lot and I had two children and I homeschooled them for a, a good chunk of years. And, but the messages in our culture and Hollywood is certainly an icon of like, these are our values and young girls look to them. It's, it's yes. troubling. It is very troubling. Uh, uh, precisely because everyone, uh, you know, everyone is watching Hollywood uh, and people are sometimes taking their, their lives direction, in a sense of speaking, uh, from, from Hollywood. Uh, and it is a shame, really, because I believe that abortion is a human rights issue. If it is a human rights issue, the same Hollywood is out there speaking about social justice issues and, you know, they are campaigning for things and campaigning for human rights, but then they are coming out on the, one of the most important platforms and really uh, telling the world that it is all right uh, to, to kill the most vulnerable in society. Um, and they're celebrating one over that. And it's not even that Hollywood is like advocating choice. They, it, this is the unchoice because they are not even making room for pro-life um, anything on their platform. Uh, if there was a pro-life uh, actor or actress, I don't believe that in this day and age, the, with the com current climate in Hollywood, that they can come out to give a speech and even imply that they are pro-life. That's now almost not allowed or we're not seeing that, but we are seeing more and more people advocating for abortion, advocating for an organization like Planned Parenthood uh, and, and moving the cause of death really from uh, one of the most glamorous platforms that th there is now in the world.
I agree completely. Um, many things that you said were just like resonating with me. I think that the the current cultural climate in Hollywood that promotes choice isn't just speaking to the middle-aged woman or, you know, like that 30-some-year-old woman who, you know, is is making her own choices and trying to live her own life. And, you know, that's still, you know, wrong. And I'm not saying by any means that that's okay to have an abortion just because you're trying to make your own way or anything like that. But what I am saying is that they're speaking to younger generations. They're speaking mm-hmm. to the 12-year-old, to the 11-year-old or the, the young teenager who now yeah. says, well, it's my right. It's my body. It's my right. It's my choice. And yeah. because Michelle Williams came out and said, oh, look what she did. That's also a viable option for me. And so mm-hmm. I don't I, I think that Hollywood is very aware of what they're doing. But I don't know that we as consumers or as viewers are often so aware of what is happening, what's being platformed and the message that's given to the younger audiences. Yeah. And that's why it is propaganda. That's, you know, that's what a propaganda is. It is promoted uh, through these powerful channels. But people who people who are doing it know the messaging is very conscious, is very um, well planned out, well choreographed, uh, very sleek messaging. But the people who are consuming it in most cases do not realize Um, a lot of the movies that are being made now, a lot of the sitcoms that are being made now, a lot of the series that are being made now are now framing abortion. Many of them are including abortion. In fact, I read somewhere a few months ago uh, that Planned Parenthood had advised uh, uh, in Hollywood for different shows in the last couple of years about 150 times. So even within um, Planned Parenthood as an organization, PPFA, Planned Parenthood Federation of America, there is a position of like something like entertainment director, you know, someone whose job is to engage with um, people who are producing entertainment. So if they have such a high position within their organization, that means we all have to sit up and we have to open our eyes and see exactly the kind of propagandization that is going on with regards to abortion. Yeah. And another point you made that I wanted to hit on um, was that this is global. It may be, it may appear like, oh, this is in America. But I know that when I was in South Africa, South Africa, many of the young people were emulating the things that they saw on Hollywood television. And that just goes into this whole thing and the conversation about abortion because, oh, well, if they do it in Hollywood, oh, that's how it is in America. You know, I want to do the things that they do in America. And so it just continues to spiral and the snowball just grows as to the things that they think are, that people think in other countries are acceptable. Do you think that that we are exporting abortion into Africa and into other countries? Without a doubt. And it's happening uh, through various channels. So uh, just to finish up this last thought from Monique, it's, um, uh, it, so people who are in the other parts of the world, they're watching Hollywood productions, they are uh, watching like music videos and things like that, and they are picking up these things. Um, people associate America or other parts of the developed world, like Europe, as the better life. 
So the better life, everything is nicer in America. And so if abortion is being put in this, um, you know, basket of goodies, that means it has to be good. So gradually it's seeping in through culture, into other cultures that otherwise would not have been, um, you know, kind of promoting abortion or embracing abortion. Abortion is very much entity in most parts of, of uh, the uh, African continent, um, out of the 55 African countries, four countries have what you call abortion on demand. Most of the other African countries have refused, not, not only that they don't have legal abortion, but they've refused to legalize abortion. They don't want abortion. They continue to insist on it. Anytime that is pushed um, towards uh, their parliaments and, and different uh, houses of legislature, it's always pushed down because there is such overwhelming uh, rejection of it by the populations. So. Now, so whereas in, uh, you know, among the young people in these countries, they are now picking up, you know, the language of abortion, the very nice one, you know, the one that says pro-choice, um, the one that presents it as a woman's right to choose, as Michelle Williams said, the one that sees it as like an acceptable thing, um, as healthcare, as some people are now packaging it. The one I just saw yesterday and I've been commenting on since yesterday is that abortion is normal as an art exhibition in New York City. So all of these things sit through to, to the developing world, uh, you know, African nations, Latin American countries, even Southeast Asian countries, uh, places where, the, you know, they don't want abortion. So, but then there is another powerful channel that abortion is coming because we, for a while, we have had this propaganda coming through uh, entertainment and it's not a huge surprise. But the one that is most surprising is that governments are now in on it. Western governments are now in on it. And this is what has now made it to become um, a real exportation from the West. It's the, the, that we are having uh, the West really exporting uh, this uh, particular, uh, pro, you know, pro, what do you like, uh, this this particular culture, which is so terrible. Uh, so in the recent times, um, EU countries have gotten very much behind funding what they're calling reproductive health in the developing world. And a, a lot of that has to do with abortion. Um, uh, you know, United States in the past has also funded, unfortunately, uh, organizations that are abortion organizations like International Planned Parenthood. Now that has stopped in the last couple of years. Um, you know, United Kingdom, where I live, uh, they have been funding a very horrible abortion organization called Marie Stopes International that we see all over the African continent. And so with government funding, very um, large amounts of funding, they are getting dollars and euros and pounds going into African countries, going into other parts of the developing world, uh, bringing in this culture, lobbying our governments uh, effectively. And so it's being done on the two levels of society. It's being done at the center of power, which is the political power. And it's also being done at the point of culture, which is really trying to get the very young people, but they're not ready to wait for those young people to grow up. So they're trying to get the young African generations and then they are also just going straight uh, to the heart of our politics and they are fighting these battles. So just to answer your question, yes, uh, abortion is being imported uh, into Af uh, African countries and other parts of the developing world. Wow. wow. That's very yeah, sobering. It, it is. Yeah, <laughs> it is. Like, it's it's very sobering. <laughs> yeah. 
We hope you're enjoying the conversation with Uju. We're going to take a small break to hear from our friends and sponsors over at Impact 360. Everywhere I looked, everything I read, all the things the world told me about who I was, what I should like, it was all there. The thinking had been done for me. But what if you can't shake the feeling that you are destined to be something else, someone else? Someone other than just popular. Or unpopular. The smart one. The jock. The Christian. The sinner. In the world today, how does anybody know who? Or what to be. Or what to even know. I found those answers and more. I learned how to think through the superficial problems and transcendent issues before me. And begin to understand what God has revealed and why faith is not blind. What I believe in my heart from my experiences. To know and respond to endless challenges of my faith with love and with confidence. So that I may listen and engage because I know what I believe is true. community where you are transformed in your character as you discover your identity in Christ. And your God-given calling. It's not only who you are, but where you should be. A community where you are cultivated as a leader. Where you will learn how to live a life of service to others as you follow Jesus Christ. The Impact 360 Institute is a community of experiential and holistic learning where you develop confidence in what you have always believed in your heart to be the truth. Then take what you know about God and what you know about yourself and live as an agent of change in your own community. Know Jesus more deeply. Be transformed in your character. Live a life of kingdom influence. Know. Be. Live. We're so grateful for the partnership of Impact 360 and all that they do to help bring worldview training to the next generation. We want to encourage you to go check them out uh, to see if it might be a good fit for your family. Summer is going to be here soon. Uh, Now's the time to get enrolled for summer camps or for their gap year program for next fall. Yes, yes. And with that, let's go back out and watch the rest of our conversation with Uju. So I heard you talk in another interview about the 1994 Cairo conference. And I think this is a good moment to maybe bring that up too, because that was a pivotal moment that I think most Americans probably aren't aware of. Yeah, I wasn't. Um, Yeah, but I think it's important for us to know about that. Yeah, so in 1994, uh, the United Nations, which for people who don't know, I mean, everyone knows the UN as this one big organization, but I think how you should think about the UN is more as a collection of smaller agencies that are powerful anyway, uh, making up this giant uh, monster 
of an organization. So the United Nations has as part of it, uh, UNFPA, which is the United Nations Population Fund. They also have another um, uh, agency that is called the UN Women, and then they have UNICEF, and of course, everything else that people know, UNDP, they know all these other organizations that people know about. Uh, but the major ones that I'm going to talk about are these two, UNFPA and the UN Women. These are, uh, you know, kind of baby agencies of the United Nations, powerful within their own rights, uh, huge within their own rights. Get they, These organizations get a lot of money from Western countries. A lot of the battle they're having now with America is that America has recently been talking about defunding them, which, you know, they haven't had for so many years, and so they're going crazy. So UNFPA, the population control arm of the United Nations, if I can call them that, uh, in 1994, uh, they held one of the annual conferences, but this was meant to be a landmark uh, conference. The, um, the, uh, it was a conference on population and development, uh, the CPD, or the International Conference uh, on Population and Development. So they went all the way to Cairo, Egypt, in Africa, to hold this particular landmark one that they said was going to change everything. They had been having it previously and, you know, talking about the populations and population growth and, you know, the different aspects of population, if you like. But when they went out to Cairo, something changed uh, because it was at the Cairo conference that they decided to bring to the level of humanitarian aid everything that has to do with reproductive health, which was not the case before. Uh, so everyone, of course, knows it's undeniable that African nations have been struggling economically. Um, it hasn't been news that people have to send food and water and all of that. You know, uh, from the 1980s, you would see hungry children from Africa. We know these images, right? Even though, yes, uh, it's arguable. Sometimes uh, they are kind of a romanticized uh, vision of Africa, which is not necessarily always accurate. But it's not a surprise. People see African uh, pictures and all that. And it's all about, you know, if someone's risen, was always to help Africa. So, yes, Africa has been a destination of humanitarian aid for a very long time. Um, so in 1994, though, something changed because whereas the, a lot of the money going in was being allocated for food, for, uh, you know, water and sanitation, for real health care, for education, for uh, infrastructure, the economies and all of that, we never really heard it that condoms could ever really be at the same level as food and water. But that was exactly what happened in Cairo, uh, that the United Nations then um, put this um, sort of they put documents together, the so-called working document then stated that really if you decide to give $10 million worth of condom to a country in a, in a, you know, in a developing country, it's the same as giving them $10 million worth of food just to make everyone feel better. So they uh, had um, all of the discussions on all of that and, and the agreement was made. But ever since 1994, 
everything has now changed on the um, uh, aid, humanitarian aid level, because all the countries, um, Western countries, especially the ones who are very much ideologically driven, then started putting a lot of money into uh, more money and more money into population control issues. And to the point that I have, um, I have a graph of it that I usually show during my presentations, to the point where as of um, I think by 2013, the population control uh, funding has now exceeded everything else. It started as the lowest uh, in the in the 90s, but it's now come to the point where African nations are now getting um, either the equivalent, the just equal um, amounts of money for things like important things like healthcare as well as population. Uh, and even in some cases, things like education and water and sanitation are getting less and less attention. So this has really been a horrible, um, um, say setback for, for African countries. Everything that it promised us will come through this kind of funding has definitely not come because it's been, it's been more than 10 years. It's been, now, in fact, it's been 25 years since the Cairo conference because they've just held a 25 year anniversary of it again in Africa. They went all the way to Nairobi to hold another big population control uh, conference um, back just back in November, a couple of months ago. Uh, and, and they keep um, kind of doubling down on it, that this is the way to go. Uh, that to give humanitarian aid is really to give population control. That's what the Cairo conference is all about. That is what they have advocated through the United Nations ever since. Every year they still have the ICPD, that International Conference of Population Development, but usually at the United Nations, I have gone for a couple of those. And it's always, you know, very disturbing because uh, when you go there, a lot of the people you see at these conferences will be uh, the, the usual people, uh, you know, um, International uh, Planned Parenthood, uh, International Planned Parenthood Federation, IPPF, you would see all the abortion, the DKT internationals, you see the so-called reproductive health organizations, they are all there and they're asking the, the United Nations for one thing, they're asking for more money, they're asking for more attention, they're asking for more access to the poor, the poor countries. Um, so it's a, a shameful thing, uh, but it's also one that we see shaping um, a lot of uh, uh, things. So is I'm taking it from your statements that uh, population control sounds like it might be a euphemism for abortion. Is is that and reproductive health? Those are two yes. terms I keep hearing you use. They sound yeah. very beautiful. They sound very pretty. But really, what exactly we're, what we're talking about is abortion. And mm. I, I'm very kind of disturbed by that, to be quite honest, because. Um, I can see, and it, it, I think what disturbs me is I feel like the Africans are being targeted with, yes. with this, you know, that there's somewhat of a, a, your continent needs population control. We need less African people on the planet. And I don't know, is that really part of what's in play here? Is that part of the mindset? Yeah, but they are denying it all the same. They they continue to deny it and they say that it's not population control. But when you look at their budget, they actually list these things as population programs. So population programs, yes, it will include abortion 
of course, but then it will also include something uh, much more um, uh, indicative of the long game that they are playing. They put in a lot of the resources for population programs into the so-called CSE, Comprehensive Sexuality Education, which has all to do with getting to the young children. So it is about uh, bringing in this kind of um, kind of re-education plan, getting into schools in the smallest villages in the most remote part of the world, teaching children these new um, terms that are like reproductive health, choice and things, these, that and the other, in places where they may not even have food and water. Nobody cares, but they're, go they're going in there and they're going there to teach them about their sexual rights, um, telling them about, you know, my body, my choice. I mean, the kind of things that we see sometimes when we go to remote places, you know, villages. I have been to villages in Africa where we couldn't find passable roads. We couldn't find clean drinking water, but we found billboards, massive billboards of condoms uh, near schools, near churches. But we are really being targeted in the most, um, you know, in the most ridiculous ways. And the world is just staying blind to it. It's almost like it's OK. You know, you know, first of all, nobody, it's almost like nobody cares. Um, so it's all part of the plan. It's comprehensive sexuality education. They're trying so desperately to force us to accept um, you know, their own version and their own definition of human sexuality, what, how people should be talking about sex, that it's sex without responsibilities, more sexual rights. It's not sexual responsibility, but sexual rights, which comes before anything else. But it's also where they're going to teach that. They are going and they're seeking to go to the remotest parts uh, of some of these countries, places where they need development more than anything. And still they're coming here to give them this comprehensive sexuality education as if it's really equal to development or as if it will lead to development, which we know it won't. Man, that um, actually takes me back to about eight years ago when I was in a township in South Africa called Kayamandi. And I was working with like first graders and they had a little pamphlet out, but it was about HIV AIDS. Mm -hmm. But it also included this knowledge and information about their body and about sex and how you don't get it. And I'm like, they, they like first grade. You know, and yep. I, I have pictures of it. I have to find these pictures because I was so floored that they would have this information. They would be giving this um, information in a coloring form. So it was like you, the kids could color it in and at the same time learn about their body, learn about HIV AIDS, how do you stay clean and all of that. And it was all written in COSA um, in a township for, you know, for grade ones and yeah. it's like you say you know you have this township or this remote area and they don't have passable roads or you know yeah. all of the roads aren't paved or there's no running water and there aren't um you know bathrooms in homes but there yeah. is this comprehensive sex education that education, is being taught in the primary school to grade ones yes that's it it shows you where these very wealthy organizations and very wealthy donors, where their heart truly is, they have everything in their world. They have everything in their, in their homes and in their communities. But then you go into a slum and the 
first thing you want to think about is let's give the coloring books to these children um, about, about, you know, the naked human body. And these are like the tiniest babies and the way they are being taught and the way, you know, who's teaching them that. All of the things that you should really be afraid in some of, a lot of these communities, there's a, a very, I mean, recorded um, high levels of sexual exploitation. And we do know it. And people don't talk a lot about it, but we do know it that it is mostly during these times when, you know, the so-called sex education is happening in between some strange teachers and children, mm -hmm. that's when these kind of sexual exploitations go on. Um, sexual abuse goes on in these yes. schools uh, through these projects. And these projects are being underwritten and being funded by Western entities. But they don't care because they come in, they throw this money down and they walk away. What, what you should be doing or what they should have been so desperate about should have been to um, be desperate that these children's level of education um, be be improved. You know, you want these children to get as much quality education as they can get so that they can leave these communities, um, teach them the best literature, let them find the ones who are best in maths and, you know, get their, get them through their, uh, their gifts out of these communities but instead they want them to stay there and yeah coloring about your body about the condoms and it was also in fact in south africa is the first place and the only place i have ever been i've been to different countries in the world um that where i've seen condoms in a restroom for free yeah you don't have to put any coin yeah you just pick it yeah you just, yeah it's it's all so, over i'm not sure if there if the statistic is still the same but a few years ago south africa had the highest rape count in the yeah. world, like anywhere, mm -hmm. they were known as the rape capital. And so yeah. it's it's like you're saying, when when we are more comfortable addressing, like, how do you stay safe or, you know, the, the whole idea of this comprehensive sex education, instead of talking about your education, talking about yes. the fact that we have issues with rape, talking about yes. all of these other issues, there's something extremely wrong. It is. Yeah. It, yeah. It, it's, it's horrific. Yeah. Um, okay. So we've talked about it on the global scale, but let's bring it back to America a little bit. Do you think that Planned Parenthood targets low income and or minority um, minority communities here in the States? Absolutely. Uh, I think it was in a uh, census couple of years ago. Um, I've seen someone who has actually uh, done the calculations that about 79% as of that year, 79% of Planned Parenthood uh, facilities are located within one mile radius of a um, an ethnic minority community. Um, it is also when you very obvious and evident when you look at statistics from cities where they're collecting it. If you look at New York City, I have perused through um, the, those statistics so often and I've gone through various years to see that it's not a fluke, that the number of births, live births for black women um, is less in all those years, like four or five consecutive years, is less than the number of abortions by black women that wherever you care to check minority groups and you know and check this data 
following uh, ethnicity, you would see that the uh, abortion rate among black women or other ethnic minority groups is usually higher, um, much higher, significantly higher. Um, then who's aborting the babies? It's the abortion industry. Um, and they know because it's a business model. Uh, they are doing it in the United States. They're also doing it in the United Kingdom that in parts of London, where you have black and ethnic minority groups living in these um, uh, poorer, let's just call them poorer parts of London, you will always find in that neighborhood or around that neighborhood, um, the abortion industry ready uh, to take advantage. It's happening uh, everywhere where you have the, uh, you know, the poorer people, and um, even among the, the white people as well, in be it Europe or America, you will also find the targeting of the poorer ones. So uh, low-income people are at risk. Um, the ethnic minority people are also very much at risk. I think I'm, I'm very concerned because in America, I think somewhere around like 12 to 13 percent of our population is African-American. Then, you know, if you if you say that women are roughly half of that, let's say that they're about eight percent, seven, eight percent of the population. But then some percentage of that are actually ovulating and capable of having a pregnancy. You know, maybe yes. you're at like five percent or something of the total population is having like 30 percent of the abortions mm -hmm. yes it, it seems so disproportional mm -hmm. um so it it does at least on just a superficial look at the statistics it does seem like the black community ethnic minority communities are being targeted to, to some degree by by abortion clinics planned parenthood and that sort of thing yeah, and also the messaging. You will see it in the messaging. Last year, there was a day I just sat through. I said, I'm going to sit uh, online. And I was going through some of the abortion organizations, particularly in America, because they're very, let's say they're very good in social media, if I can say that. They're constantly, you can, you can see that they're playing their, you can see their hand. You can see what they're planning by going through their social, their social media pages or platforms, if you have the time, just do that. That any time I see something like Nero um, doing a, a kind of advertisement or they're doing a publicity thing, they use black women a lot. They use, you know, what you call in America, women of color. Okay, I'm not American, so <laughs> so yeah. So I always see Americans saying the women of color. So yeah, they always find a way to use black women. Um, in their art or in their uh, pub publicity things done. So even when they, they write articles, you know, these uh, pro-abortion websites, even the, the um, websites like Reuters. So it's they do use black women um, whenever they're talking about choice body right you know or they're fighting um any kind of pro-life law that comes out in alabama or wherever if you see the article most times um it, they will use a black woman um to show that we you know they're taking away rights they're taking away our rights so they're using black women constantly um as a a shield for the entire abortion industry but if you think about it who is in charge in the abortion industry? Uh, you know, Cecil Richards is people in that class. This is the elite. 
the people who themselves are living in mansions, um, a lot of the abortionists, these are people who, these are the elite, and they are using the poor people who will then go back to the squalor of their communities when they, uh, you know, finish aborting their babies. But the money, at the end of the day, the money they are bringing into the abortion industry is, un is unthinkable. And the abortion industry continues um, to, in a way, continues to grow as a monster uh, on the blood of the innocent babies being aborted, as well as the money um, of, of the poorest people, of the poor. That yeah, we just a... don't sit here. We need to just breathe for I a know, minute. because that is powerful. <laughs> I have so many thoughts, but go ahead with your question. Well, I was just going to say that, um, you know, I don't really know what I was going to say okay. anymore. <laughs> <laughs> That's all right. I don't. I have to, I have to collect myself. Yeah. Because it's yeah. true, you know, one of the things I was thinking is that they do use, and here we have this term about black bodies. And so you will see black bodies before, um, like, abortion ads or in front of abortion ads and things like that. Um, but we also have this huge conversation happening right now about diversity. And so mm. I feel like it's a double-edged sword. Like, you know, we want to make sure that our, our ads are diverse. And so we're going mm. to use a black body or a woman of color to mm -hmm. promote this um, reproductive health or abortions. And it's like, it's really just, it's really just a double stab. Like when your diversity kill. becomes targeting. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. So they know what they're doing, though. They yeah. do know what they're doing. Uh, it is, uh, it's very unfortunate that, when they push so hard for that diversity is when, yeah, when it has to do with abortion. Yeah. Mm -hmm. and at the end of the day, it's the black babies that don't make it. Yeah. It's, you know, it's the, the, the offspring uh, of, of the African-Americans that just are not there. Uh, and the populations of the African-Americans should have been higher by now, um, it, you know, with regards to the rest of the population. But it's not because the, you know, a lot of the babies are, are going by way of uh, Planned Parenthood. Um, it's it's really unfortunate uh, and that there are politicians as well um, sitting in your capital who are fighting constantly, shamelessly uh, for the right uh, to for women to be able to to have their babies killed, um, it's a, a horrible thing. Which I think we will see the full repercussions of it in history, and hopefully history should should take note uh, and and keep the record exactly where uh, history has kept very very carefully and very well the records of things uh, like slavery. Um, it those those things those records. I'm hoping that it doesn't fall off the way that we would know in time who supported what uh, and and. And uh, what, what, you know, how vicious were they in their advocacy and how, how careless were they in their advocacy? Because uh, they're all going on record and saying all of these things, um, history will not forget. One day abortion is really going to be uh, completely overturned because science, science is really moving very quickly. As I said, I am a scientist myself and I work in healthcare and we see these uh, incredible advancements. And I keep wondering for how long uh, is abortion going to you know, continue with all these things that we now know with new technology, with everything that we know, uh, so much, uh, so much um, new treatments are being devised where babies can be 
treated while they are still in the womb, where even uh, intricate surgeries can be done while the baby is still in the womb and the, the pregnancy and gestation continues and the baby is born at the right time or close to the right time, how long are we going to be able to uh, continue to tell the lie uh, that the child in the womb can be disposed of when we are also putting in a lot of money to save the life of that baby or to make the life of that baby better by giving treatment long before, uh, long before birth? I work uh, in hematology and there are actual tests that we do to find out things like blood group of a baby long, long, long before the baby is born. So science is really advancing and I'm so grateful for that. That's one thing I love really about just, you know, life in the West is that we see science moving and it's moving in affirmation of the uh, sanctity of human life. And I'm praying that society will come together and rally together and have the real courage, the real courage it will take to, to overcome abortion. And yes, I know women go through a lot of problems. As you had mentioned at the beginning, uh, we have challenges. We, ha we have, um, you know, so many things to deal with in, in some cases, uh, but I also know that society can and has changed for the better, that people are making more room for women to give women care, to meet women at the points where they need help, to give help to women who are in crisis situations, to accompany women who are, in, who are, being, who are fearing for their lives or you know, those who feel they really desperately have to abort their babies in order for them to survive maybe an abusive relationship or, or something. Uh, no, society is getting much better and I hope that we get all that much better that women can then good women can get that real assurance that society is with us and so we can together um, abolish this horrible horrific practice called abortion well that's such a good place to to land the interview Uju and I just as I was reflecting on what you were saying just now I was thinking about the great loss of all the potential future scientists and priests and politicians and mothers and fathers and and others who could contribute to making the world better, who could contribute to improving things and finding cures for diseases. Um, and I just love how you, you ended that in such a, a positive place because our hope is that someday th this atrocity will be overturned and we will have a different sensibility as uh, as across the board in all countries that, that human mm -hmm. life is valuable and that we want to work to cultivate life rather than, yes. than death. Yes. So yeah. one of the things that um, I wanted to ask you at the beginning, and I completely um, <laughs> skipped over it and forgot, but um, I know that you're a woman of faith and mm -hmm. I wanted, I wondered like, how does your faith um, impact you or, um, compel you to speak out about these things? Yeah, that's fine. I know you wanted to ask it at the beginning, but it's good that we can still talk about it towards the end, because I think it's also like another good place to, to kind of round things out. Um, so I am a woman of faith. I am my, I, I'm a Catholic. I'm a devout Catholic. And yes, I am also a scientist and a lot of my convictions I have, supported uh, by science. So I know when I see these things at my workplace or, you know, in my own experiences and in, you know, in reading scientific papers and things like that. Um, so that is the one thing. So the conviction is there and the conviction can be there even for people who are not yet convinced by faith. But this is what my faith does. In this fight that we fight, 
we do have real opponents who could even qualify as enemies, who see us as enemies. Uh, when you see them reject pro-life people, you would know that we do have enemies, even if you don't call them that. Um, but my faith then compels me to not hate my enemies, to love them and to still be um, clear in the message, but also find, my, find a way within my life and within myself to be able to love in the midst of the mission, uh, doing whatever it is. So the faith does keep me going. The, the faith also uh, ensures that I, I don't um, get tired or get weary, you know? So every morning God wakes me up and then you, you, you are sometimes just tired of what you're seeing. You go online, you're tired of what's going on. Uh, but then God then comes with the courage that can only come from him and gives me the ability to just keep going, um, the ability to keep moving, knowing that even if I don't see the results of what is being uh, done and all the work that we are doing, um, it doesn't matter, it's for him. So even if I die doing this, uh, even if I never get to see the end of this, um, it still doesn't matter because the work has gone in into his vineyard and it stays, it stays and it's meant to outlive us. So that's fine. It's going somewhere, it's for something. And at the end of the day, it's really for the love of God. So uh, the faith does keep the work going and it, it, it ensures that, uh, that I never lose sight of what is most important, which is that the God is the author of life and everything that we do at the end of the day, in all of this fight, for human rights. Yes, it's for human rights, but at the end of the day, it's all because we are all made in the image and likeness of God Almighty. Amen and amen. <laughs> yes. Good. Well, thank you so much for joining us and talking thank with you. us. It's been amazing. So yes. informative. Thank you. Very much. So, thank and I want to encourage people to get connected with Uju. Yes. Yes. Um, Find follow. me on Twitter. Yes, yes. Twitter. O B I A N U J U. That's yes. it. Yeah. yeah. And then um, <laughs> check out the website at culturelifeafrica.com. Yes. Thank you right. so That's much, right. Uju. It's just a pleasure Thank to you. meet you. Thank you. It's a pleasure too. Thanks for having me. Right. Thank you. Have a good evening. <laughs> Thank you. All right. Bye bye. Bye bye. Yeah. Man, how far we have come. From, you know, that conversation being in yeah. January tw of 2020, we've come so far as, you know, America in having, um, you know, the the removal of Roe v. Wade or I don't even know if removal is the best word because states still have their individual yeah. you know choices that they make. But, you know, just looking at where the conversation has gone yeah. regarding Roe v. Wade and, you know, personally for me, then I was only about five minutes outside of being pro-choice. I used to be pro-choice, if you didn't know. Um, but I had just stepped across the line over into being pro-life and understanding think, the arguments. I think this was maybe the first pro-life episode. It was. That we did. No, we did the, the movie thing very early on. That was oh, very hard for you. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. It was like only the fourth or fifth episode. 
Um, and I'm trying to remember what the name of that movie was. Unplanned. Yes. This is the first one where we had a guest. Though, yes. Is what I yeah. mean. Yeah. 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 But I, did, I forgot about the movie. Yeah. Um, but now, you know, I'm like, wow, look at how people, we think about the work of Scott Klusendorf, who um, we've had on, we had on the show a month ago or so, yeah. a month and a half ago, and his work in the pro-life movement and him being one of the most prominent pro-life apologists to date. Yeah. You know, and... Um, and seeing how he is going out and how bold people are becoming in their stand yeah. for for the unborn. Yeah, it's so, yeah. really great to just get back in that time machine because you forget, mm-hmm. uh, you know, oh, yeah, that. We were, we were way back there, and it has continued to develop. So anyways, we hope that you've enjoyed the conversation with Uju. Make sure if you're on Twitter to go follow her. She makes awesome tweets, but she gets shadow banned a lot, so sometimes you have to, like, go search for her tweets. But we hope you're enjoying this series. We'll be back next week with another Rewind show. See you later.